What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, General Motors CEO Mary Barra has seen her company through more than one crisis, how she's leading GM through this COVID recovery. We believe we're on track for virtually every one of our facilities to be back to the levels they were producing prior to uh, the impact of COVID in this country. And making work safer and more equitable for her 160,000 employees. How do we advance uh, much more quickly to creating a truly inclusive environment where everybody can bring their true self and be themselves at, um, at work. Plus, Dallas Mavericks owner, entrepreneur, and investor Mark Cuban on sports post-pandemic and tackling white privilege in America. White people have got to have difficult conversations. Right now, we as white people all know people who are racist, maybe not overtly racist, but, you know, subtly, subtly racist. And when we see people act that way, we have to step in and say something. Those stories plus delivery for President Putin. It's a foyer. It's a chamber. It's a disinfection tunnel. It's Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Days after accepting the job as General Motors CEO in January 2014, Mary Barra had to confront a crisis that threatened the entire company's future. An ignition switch malfunction from a decade prior had resulted in 124 deaths and 275 injuries. Barra started a string of recalls that would ultimately involve more than 30 million vehicles that year. She also revamped the company's culture and management process, focusing on a key word, safety. The first woman to run an American car maker said the experience taught her to be impatient about solving problems and encouraged employees and managers to be transparent. Fast forward to 2020, Mary Barra is using the word impatient again. General Motors has had a rough spring, like most companies, forced to close plants for two months to develop safety protocols to deal with the threat of coronavirus. And when the crisis of racial inequality in our cities and our workplaces spilled over into the biggest public demonstrations in decades, Mary Barra wrote to GM employees, suppliers, and dealers saying that she was impatient and disgusted with Americans' passive discussions about inequality. The chairman and CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, spoke to Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin today on Squawk Box about all of this, as well as about the automaker's virtual shareholders meeting yesterday, consumers after coronavirus, and how you build an inclusive workplace. Here's Becky. Mary, it's really good to see you. Thank you for being here. Well, it's great to um, be with you uh, today, too, Becky. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the year you have seen so far Uh, leading up to the shareholder meeting. You said that uh, this was a tragic year. Uh, Can you kind of walk through what you've learned, what you've seen, what what GM has experienced this year? Well, when you think about first the pandemic, it started uh, with our operations in China and has moved through um, the entire world. So we've been uh, experiencing that and uh, trying to make sure that we do everything we can to uh, keep our people safe, uh, our, our as we look at this, we want to make sure we protect lives, then livelihoods. And so we've been applying learnings um, from across the, the globe to 
to uh, make sure that we can do just that. And so as you look at that, which has had a tremendous impact on our business, as it has many businesses um, across the globe, uh, and then with the incidents uh, dealing uh, with uh, social uh, inequity and, and racial inequity, uh, clearly that has been uh, hanging and, and very heavy on all of our hearts. So uh, those are serious issues that we need to uh, look at to from a business perspective, but also uh, doing what's right and making sure that we create an environment for inclusive to be inclusive for everyone. So yeah, we have uh, a lot of work that we've outlined, and uh, we're very committed to taking action, not just talking about why things are happening, but what are we going to do to be part of the change. I definitely want to talk more about the justice and equality measures in just a moment. But before we get to that, let's let's talk about some of the things that you mentioned yesterday at, at the shareholders meeting and leading up to that. You had said that by the end of this month, you're really hoping to get GM production levels back to the pre-COVID levels. Um, that's a tall order considering what you all have been doing in terms of having to handle the shutdowns and then shift to making some of that personal protective equipment um, that, that, that people have been using for the COVID response, too. Where, where are you on that track? And you think that that is, is a goal that you're likely to hit? Uh, yes. We, um, I, I have been in eight of our plants uh, in the United States over the last few weeks, plan to visit more. I'll be in another one of our facilities tomorrow. So uh, the uh, return to work has been going pretty well. We took the time to really uh, train everybody on what our safety protocols are and why they're so important, but then very importantly, listen to everybody's concerns and questions. And I think uh, that has allowed us to uh, make sure people return with the protocols that uh, with all the work we've done, we believe are safe, but also to give them confidence in the safety. So that has been uh, very, very important. We have uh, well over 90 percent of our team in the United States back uh, in most of North America. And so we believe we're on track for virtually every one of our facilities to be back to the levels they were producing prior to uh, the impact of COVID in this country. We are also back um, as it relates to China, Korea, and other locations around the world. South America, is uh, coming back up. It's a little slower because they're at a different point uh, in the curve as it relates to the coronavirus. Does that create any problems just in terms of your supply chain, particularly looking at, at some of the situations in Mexico that we had seen earlier, too? Have, have you had issues trying to make sure you can get everything you need to make these cars? Uh, you know, we're working through them. Uh, we have a, a complex global uh, supply chain, so there's always challenges. We're working very closely with local and federal governments in many countries, as well as our suppliers. And, you know, we're on a good path. We'll continue to work through any challenges that we have, but I think that we can uh, succeed successfully work through those as we uh, progress through the end of the month and then continue on into third quarter. There have been a lot of questions about consumer demand, and I know there are issues as people worry about their jobs, worry about what's going to happen next. But then there are probably potentially other buyers who had been out of the market or maybe never bought a car before who think, wait a second, I need a car, I need my own transportation now because I trust public transportation less. What are you starting to see as, as some of the car dealers actually reopen around the country? Well, uh, we've been pleasantly surprised at how, how demand has come back and even uh, stayed. Uh, it didn't drop as low as it had in other countries in the United States, even uh, during the, the height of the peak from, a, from an impact perspective. So we're cautiously optimistic. We do see people uh, very interested in completing much of the transaction online using our Shop Click Drive tool. We also have many of our dealers, virtually all of them, that have signed up for kind of a clean certification and a contactless delivery. And I think uh, that is giving uh, consumers confidence as well. So I think it's too soon to tell, but uh, we're cautiously optimistic uh, as we see uh, demand resuming. 
Where where is demand coming up? Is there pent up demand, or are people looking to buy trucks? Are they looking to buy cars? What what, what have you seen from the consumer? Uh, we've seen uh, strength in trucks, uh, and and because of the strength of our truck franchise and the fact that we just have been over the last year and a half launching all new full size trucks, both light duty and heavy duty. We're right now also launching our full size SUV, the the Chevrolet Suburban, the uh, and Tahoe, the GMC Yukon, and and then the Cadillac Escalade. Uh, we're very um, uh, encouraged by the fact that demand for full size trucks and SUVs has been very strong, and now we're starting to see um, uh, mid uh, crossovers and. SUV uh, demand also increase. Just in terms of trying to restart financially, you, you all obviously took some some measures to try and battle the shutdowns that you were dealing with during the second quarter. Do you think you've gotten through the worst of the coronavirus um, issues and shutdown at this point, or do you worry that there there are more repercussions to come down the road? Well, I think it's a it's a very uncertain time. I think when you look back, the steps that we've taken over the last five six years to strengthen the company, making some of the tough decisions, and transforming our our industry that. Put Put us in a much better position as we face this pandemic. And right now, we're um, hopeful that we'll have a, a, a strong recovery, but we're planning multiple scenarios to make sure that the, the uh, company, we're, that we're strong from a business perspective and can weather whatever outcome. But right now, we're cautiously optimistic. And Mary, one thing I wanted to ask you from a CNBC poll that's out this morning, we've been testing people to kind of ask them how they feel about things coming back. 50% of people said that they would feel comfortable going back to work. Only 28% said they would feel comfortable getting on a flight at this point. And, and the number of people who said they'd feel comfortable taking either an Uber or a Lyft was 34%. As somebody who owns a stake in Lyft, what, what do you think about the ride sharing of the future and how much that might potentially be impacted by this pandemic? Well, I think right now you're seeing people, um, for the most part, be very cautious uh, in shared environments uh, across many levels. But I think the uh, as we look and we move forward, uh, we still believe in share ride sharing, especially as it relates to uh, autonomous vehicles. And if you think about it, an autonomous vehicle takes out one more variable from a potential exposure perspective. So I think as we move forward, ride sharing uh, will be important, and autonomous, I think, will will be even stronger. Uh, again, especially if you look at how we de uh, designed the cruise origin as well from a separation and from a cleanliness perspective. Hey, Mary, I, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the autonomous vehicle business. And specifically, there are some reports that uh, Amazon is in talks to buy Zooks, which is uh, one of the autonomous uh, vehicle companies uh, still out there. Would you support that acquisition? There, there's been some questions about whether an Amazon, as you know, given big tech's role in society, should be uh, allowed to buy other companies like that and to get into spaces like this? Well, uh, Andrew, it's really not my decision of what Amazon does and, and what happens to Zooks. Uh, you know, what I know is the way we're approaching uh, Autonomous with Cruise, having the integration of uh, the way we do the development with the, the vehicle team working hand-in-hand -hand with the, the team that's actually doing the Autonomous, I think that puts us in a very strong position. Uh, and I'm very pleased with how the Cruise team continues to hit milestones, even with some of the challenges of the pandemic. So I'm very optimistic and uh, very pleased with how Cruise is progressing and developing the technology, because the key is having the technology where you can uh, demonstrate that you're safer than a human driver. Hey, Mary, the, the, uh, the travails of Hertz are, are pretty well documented, and, and we talk about it a lot because of crazy uh, trading we see in the, in the stock of a 
you know, a bankrupt company, maybe even issuing stock. What does the, the state of the rental car industry mean to, to the big three the, the, or, or just the automakers in general in terms of maybe not being able to count on, on fleet sales, uh, et cetera? Is it going to be a different world when this is all said and done? We have seen uh, the retail customer um, come back into the marketplace much more than the fleet customer. Over the last several years, General Motors has been decreasing the amount of vehicles that we sell specifically into rental, so it's had much less of an impact on General Motors. And we think when you look at some of the commercial fleets, that business uh, will will regain, um, will have stronger demand as we move forward. It's low right now, but there will be time where commercial fleets need to uh, upgrade their the, their vehicles in their fleets. So I think over time, um, you know, that will come back as well. And again, uh, rental has less of an impact on General Motors because of our position. Has the, the movement in, in oil prices uh, lessened the, uh, the mandate to move towards hybrids and, and electric vehicles, do you think? And, and to smaller, more gas-efficient vehicles at this point? I, I know how profitable trucks and, and SUVs are. Are we back to thinking that that's what Americans want? Do you have to consider things like that? Well, I think overall people look at their, their total cost of ownership. But if you think about the improvements that have been made in uh, from General Motors' perspective in the fuel economy and the emissions improvement in our, in our full-size trucks and SUVs and our mid-crossovers, it's giving people more choice. We still do believe in an all-electric future, and we're using this time to accelerate uh, our work. And we believe let's get to all-electric vehicles as quickly as possible and do it in a way where we're uh, creating value for the customer, that they have the vehicle and the segment they want. It's affordable. It has the right range. And then we're also working on making sure, uh, working with energy companies as well as startup companies and a a, a kind of a collection of companies, that there's a robust charging infrastructure. And when you have all those questions answered, uh, we're seeing a willingness and and stronger interest from the consumer in electric vehicles. Hey, Mary, let's talk about a letter that that you wrote to your employees and your suppliers. I think it was on June 1st after that that weekend where we had seen so many protests around the country. Um, You wrote some pretty moving and and powerful words. You said that uh, I'm both impatient and disgusted by the fact that as a nation, we seem to be placated by the passive discussion of why. Why does this happen? Why can't we get to a different place? Why is the response so visceral? You said, let's stop asking why and start asking what. So I wonder first, what is the response that, that you receive back from your employees and your suppliers after that? Well, so we shared it with employees on Saturday, and then we shared it with our dealers and our suppliers on Monday, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, Hundreds of people responded on our internal um, site for communications, and then I've had dozens and dozens, probably, uh, you know, over 100 uh, individual emails from our employees and suppliers and dealers um, all around the world with support and and sharing that same uh, frustration that we can't let this keep happening. We need to drive real and lasting change and recognize that, you know, there's systemic issues that need to be addressed. How how do you address those issues? I know that you are one of the CEOs on the Business Roundtable responsible for heading up some of the Business Roundtable's response to this. What, What do you do as a Business Roundtable member? What do you do at GM specifically? Well, at GM specifically, we have announced that we're forming uh, an inclusion advisory board, and um, I'm really excited in the next uh, week, if not sooner, we'll be sharing um, the membership of that. And 
we uh, are also starting off by listening. I've been in two listening sessions, uh, just really understanding how our African-American employees feel, what they're facing, some of the challenges, and, and that's going to inform how we move forward. But there's things that we can do across the board as it relates to our corporate giving, our marketing, our communications, our talent development, our hiring. So we're looking very holistically inside General Motors of how do we advance uh, much more quickly to creating a truly inclusive environment where everybody can bring their true self and be themselves at, um, at work. Because if you can be yourself, uh, you're going to be happier, you're, you're going to be at your best. So it's the, the response has been very positive. We know we have a lot of work to do. This isn't going to be an overnight, but we're looking to make measurable progress in, you know, we can look back in one year, two year, three year, uh, and we want to uh, hold ourselves accountable that we'll see real progress. As it relates to BRT, I'm, I'm very um, uh, encouraged by the fact that, again, so many BRT companies are very supportive, and I think when you take the strength of the BRT working together to look at some of the fundamental issues, um, whether it's from a legislative front, whether it's from uh, sharing best practices and drive change, I think that's going to help move the nation forward as well. Mary, are there specific goals that, that you think you might hold yourself and GM accountable to? <clears throat> and I ask that only because we heard from the tech companies several years ago about how they were going to start telling us the numbers of diversity in their staffs. Um, and it didn't seem to make much difference. And I know it can be difficult to find qualified employees to go into some of these positions, but it just without saying, okay, here, here are the levels that we want to reach, here are the levels we will reach, uh, you wonder if change will be different this time, if progress will happen. Well, I think uh, representation and opportunity is one aspect, but I think it really gets at how do you how do you really create the right culture? And one of the things at General Motors we've made incredible progress on is is creating a true safety culture. And we started in earnest in the 16 time frame, and I can look now, and our numbers reflect uh, you know fewer incidents uh, across the board. And I think, but it wasn't uh, it was a lot of things that we needed to do. But one of the most important things. Was, was changing the culture where people knew uh, we wanted people to behave safely. I think when you look at inclusion, creating, having the dialogue, having people understand each other, value each other, listen to each other, and put themselves in someone else's shoes, I think we've got to create that uh, type of change from a cultural perspective, along with you know, representation, hiring, development, uh, and, and programs across the board. But it, when I think we'll be more successful is when we've really changed the way people feel day to day um, as they, they go about their work. Is this something you're focusing on more at headquarters, more at the plants? I know, you know, as I visited the plants, it's a conversation we have with every single plant, with our joint leadership team and with employees uh, across um, all aspects. So this is something, uh, you know, for the company because it's, it's about our culture. And it's, about, it's, it's about how we treat each other, how we value each other, and how we interact. So it's, it's something everywhere, and it's global. Mary, I want to switch gears again and, and talk a little bit about Lordstown, Ohio. With the closure of the plant there, um, Ohio officials have suggested that they may try and claw back $60 billion, or $60 million, I should say, in, in tax incentives that they provided to GM. Do you have any idea how this might work out? 
Well, uh, when we look at the difficult decision that we had to make when we saw that small uh, cars were not selling, that was that was uh, something that uh, a decision we didn't like making, but it was important because you know customers were not interested in those vehicles any longer. But we're very proud of the fact that we have uh, invested and in, are going not only investing um, in. Our locations in Ohio across the board, but specifically in Lordstown is where we're putting um, our battery cell manufacturing plant with our, our joint venture with LG. And so I think uh, that type of investment in the future of where we see uh, the auto, auto industry going, I think, is going to be very important for that community. So anytime you have to make these types of transformations, it's hard, but very proud of the investment we've made to support the, the Lordstown community. Let's talk a little bit about ESG, environmental, social, and government uh, governance transparency. Yesterday, GM was ranked number eight on a list that came out from the 100 best corporate citizens. That's up from number 24 last year. What kind of changes have you made at GM? What made you get to that point and, and, and moved you up the list? You know, this is something that we have been working on for years now. Just last year, we did uh, uh, name a chief sustainability officer and create a sustainability office. We um, moved up our targets. In the past, we had said we'd be running on all renewable energy by, by 2050. We were able to put plans in place to pull that back globally to, to 2040 and for the U.S. Uh, by 2030. We've also made a very strong commitment to uh, electric vehicles. And in early March, right before uh, the COVID-19 uh, strongly impacted the United States. We had an EV day where we shared our uh, Ultium battery um, platform, our cells, our, our platform strategy, and the number of vehicles we plan to launch uh, in the not-too-distant future from an EV perspective, and also then the work that we're doing from a um, from an infrastructure perspective. So I think from an environmental perspective, there's a lot of effort. Uh, and also, uh, we've continually been working on our culture. I mentioned safety, uh, and there's a lot of research to indicate that when you have a true safety culture, it leads to um, more inclusion, happier, empowered employees, and also better business results. So we have been working on um, uh, our culture from a, a perspective of safety, from inclusion. Um, you know, we're really building and accelerating the work that we have been doing. And then governance um, and uh, of the company, we've already had a lot of recognition of the work that we've done to have uh, very strong governance principles and how we operate. So I think it's the continued progress we're making on all aspects of ESG that uh, afforded us this recognition. And, and we have more work to do, and we're going to stay on that path. Mary, I want to thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate your time, and we wish good luck as those plants get back up and running to full capacity. We do appreciate your time today. Well, thanks so much, and I hope everyone stays well. Next on Squawk Pod, the return of sports. Finally, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban on what's needed to keep athletes and fans safe. Obviously, safety is the first and most important thing. We're going to take the Hotel California approach. Once you enter, you don't leave until you're eliminated from the regular season or playoffs. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. The country's reopening process is going forward, even as coronavirus is 
Uh, the cases spike in uh, states scattered around the country. The latest CNBC change uh, research states of play survey measures attitudes among likely voters in returning to some normal activities. Uh, for instance, for instance, 50 percent of respondents said they feel it is now safe to go into their office. Forty percent uh, feel comfortable dining in at a restaurant, but only 28 percent said they are comfortable taking a flight. Drilling down uh, to the state level, Texas is seeing a continued increase in COVID-19 cases with hospitalizations hitting a new high, up 66 percent since Memorial Day. Joining us now to talk about the reopening process uh, in Texas and nationwide, uh, pro sports, inequality in America, is Mark Cuban, entrepreneur, philanthropist and owner of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. Um, just try, Mark, we want to talk to you about all the, the, the different sure. s- sports openings, um, but let's start with, with NBA. I don't know what we're going to do with, uh, with MLB uh, either. We did see a golf uh, match, and we got another one. Finally. Uh, yep, we got another one starting tomorrow. I got, so I tell you who I got? I got Just, Justin Rose this time, and for every stroke under par, I get $2. So I might make up the $25. You're killing I, it. You're yeah, killing I mean, it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, he played well last weekend. But what about what do we need to do for NBA to make to make coaches uh, and players and, and fans and everybody else comfortable? And is it gonna, are we going to be able to pull this off, Mark? I think we're going to be able to pull it off. Obviously, safety is the first and most important thing. And I think we've got a good program in place. I mean, we're going to be working very closely with Disney um, and the facilities in Disney World are going to be optimized to keeping everybody safe. Um, We're going to take the Hotel California approach. Once you enter, you don't leave until you're eliminated from the regular season or playoffs. We're going to keep, you know, we have very succinct programs for testing. I I, I think we're doing everything possible to keep everybody as safe as possible, and I think it'll work. After watching everything that's happened in the different states, Mark, and uh, you know Texas pretty well, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. where where you stand on the way Texas has handled this versus the way a, a state that has not reopened at all is handling it or a Georgia versus some of these other states? What's right? It's, it's a great question, Joe. It's, it's a very difficult situation. Um, you know, we had a scare here in our household. Um, a bunch of graduation parties. My 16 year old daughter attended. A bunch of kids ended up getting sick and, and testing positive. So everybody had to go get tested. We've seen eight deaths last night just in Dallas alone. The number of hospitalizations are increasing. So to answer your question, I wasn't opposed to opening up, but I was kind of I wasn't happy with the fact that there wasn't a lot of management of people's expectations. In other words, people when we went out and we drove around, there were people without masks as if nothing had ever happened. And there was nobody there saying, no, what this this could lead to problems. And so I think if we're going to stay open, we're really going to have to take some steps to make sure that businesses enforce the requirements for masks, et cetera. So you've got that personal experience down in Texas. But, you know, you're also trying to figure out, you know, what to do with the the Mavs. But then you also have Shark Tank and, and all the businesses that you've invested in. And you you more than anyone else knows you know, these are great people that, that have the, the, the nerve to start a business and yep. the enthusiasm and to just, you know, to, to run into this buzzsaw when they're trying to get, get yeah, started. Yeah, there's no question, and, Joe. And we want to try it's and get, hard. we want to try and, if we could open safely, that's an important part of the whole calculus on, you know, it's, it's not as important, nothing's more important than health, but it's hard to to stay healthy if you can't pay the rent, can't put food on yeah, the Yeah, but table. you know what? In dealing with those small businesses, those shark tank businesses, what I've told them all is you have to innovate. 
right? We've seen a transition to online buying and selling, and that's exactly what the best of my Shark Tank companies have done. You know, when you look at the retail sales being up 17.7%, you see that online sales were up 31%. And so you know that people are making those purchases there. And so you really have to be adaptive. The challenge has been for retail, right? Because you want those stores to get open, but you want them to get open safely. And the same with restaurants. And so, you know, we're kind of in kind of a, a weird environment right now because there's so much stimulus. And so we don't know what the organic demand is right now. So trying to find that balance between staying open, you know, keeping people healthy and actually making money doing that is going to be difficult right now until we get past July 31st when the um, enhanced unemployment benefits run out. You know, Mark, I, I know you've you, you've been on other uh, uh, media uh, outlets and, and other places, and you must have responded to this uh, many, many times. But in looking for, for ways to, to change what needs to be changed in this country in terms of uh, the way that the, you know, the, the, uh, the systemic racism we see with maybe with police forces for, um, you know, that, that we have no idea about, I, I, I don't right. think. Um, and just the, the inequality issue in, right. in many neighborhoods and the hopelessness in many urban areas. What, what do you think? Where does the answer lie after thinking about it like all of us have for so long? You know, I don't know if I have the answer, but, you know, just to be brutally honest, um, white people have got to have difficult conversations. Right now, when we hear the term white privilege, we all react negatively. Uh, we're not used to talking about race, but, you know, we don't really understand. We get very defensive when people use the term white privilege. But we have to start to recognize that racism, you know, comes from us and that, you know, dealing with it means that you and I and anybody who looks like us as when we see racism, when we see people acting inappropriately, when we see businesses doing things the wrong way and not treating um, minorities as they should be treated, then we need to say something. We need to speak up. You know, as, as an entrepreneur, as a business guy, what I see in this is a generational opportunity opportunity for this country to move forward. And so now is the time to do it. Is it hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. But, you know, we are the ones... White people don't like to talk about race. It makes me uncomfortable just saying the term white people, you know, because we, we associate it with so many negative things. But that's what we have to do. And again, we can't when we hear the term white privilege, maybe it's not the best term. But maybe it makes us uncomfortable. But the fact that it makes us uncomfortable gives, gives us reason to really want to start taking steps forward. So going into some of the, the, the areas where this is the separate issue, but but where we know it, it's just so seems so hopeless for, for the kids that are growing up there in terms of education, in terms of the surroundings. We do have something in, in, as a model uh, in Harlem. It's very expensive, and, and it takes a lot of, uh, you know, of, of I mean, they, they start with kids at, when they're born, and it goes all the way to when the kid get, gets a job. And they, they, sure. they watch what they do after school, and they watch, you know, what they're involved with, and they clean up. Programs are great. Yeah, programs but, but are great. Is that what we need? To, how, do we, how do we go after you need that? All the and what do we do with it? It's not just education, because they, they get out of school, the kids do, and, and they go to home to a place that, that might not be, uh, be, be great or may not have yeah, much Yeah, Joe, none of, these things, none of these things are mutually exclusive. We need to have programs that help people. Anybody who's disadvantaged, we need to have people. Well, we've been help doing people. that, but we need to step it up, or or do it differently, or or do something with the schools, or do something with the home life, or I don't See, know. It's it's something. Yes, but at the same time, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. We as white people all know people who are racist, maybe not overtly racist, 
but you know, subtly, subtly racist. And when we see people act that way, right. we have to step in and say something. That's when things start to change. You know, when we see all these numbers come out, we see the impact of the police departments on the African-American community. We hear the, the prevalent stories about African-American men and their interactions with the police. Those, those are systemic issues. Those don't just, you know, people always talk about race is not, you're not born with hatred towards other races. You're taught it. And the people that we know that are teaching those things, those are the people we need to talk to. That's what's going to lead to systemic change. It may just be one little baby step at a time that each one of us can take. But in aggregate, that's where real change occurs. Okay, Mark. All right. We're going to continue to, to have the to have these discussions. And thanks for asking the question, Joe. So it's a, it's a tough question. It, it's a tough question, tough, tough answers. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll keep plugging away. If Hopefully we, we will. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. I didn't read about this. I like it. Russian President Vladimir Putin has a disinfection tunnel installed at his country residence. It sounds like kind of like a car wash, uh, almost, to protect him from the coronavirus. The video uh, was released by a Russian news agency yesterday. Anyone entering Putin's residence has to pass through the chamber that uses a fine mist of disinfectant solution that is sprayed all over uh, the exposed areas of the body to kill anything that, uh, that, that might be on you, I guess, as, as you're going in. Uh, I thought it was bigger when I read about it. That's not exactly a tunnel, I don't think. I wonder if we're ever going to see those no. ar- around here, though. Um, it seems At the like, airport. Why don't they put those in the airport? A very fine mist, isn't it? It's kind of... Uh, you, can't even, you can't even convince people to wear masks here. Good luck. What? Right. And, and once you go through there, I mean, it's in your orifices, right? I mean, it's in your nose and your lungs and things. I, I mean, it, it's, it's not just sitting on your skin. It's, it, it, I mean, if you well, cough if or you sneeze, it, you're, I guess that's the, you're, you're back to square one right. if you cough or sneeze, though, aren't you? I don't understand. Unless how. you're wearing a mask. If you're Unless wearing a mask, mask an right. N95 mask after you do that. So you wear the mask and you get sprayed. Okay. And that's the podcast for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Netflix CEO and co-founder Reed Hastings making a personal donation to historically black colleges and universities and speaking with the leaders of Spelman, Morehouse, and the UNCF. This moment is not the first time that racism's reared its you know, terribly ugly head. And many of us have been working on these issues for a long time. Um, again, for me, mostly through education and 
my visits and my understanding of my relationships with all of my colleagues here was all pre this crisis. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Share our podcast with a friend and tweet us anytime at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 